0: Welcome to Take the Lead Radio with Dr. Diane Hamilton, where she interviews some of the most successful leaders, entrepreneurs, authors, speakers,
1: and other individuals who will inspire you to take the lead in your career and personal life. And now, here is Dr. Diane Hamilton.
2: welcome to take the lead radio this is dr diane hamilton and i'm so glad you joined us today because we have john sterilecki and richard mulholland here john is the number one best-selling inspirational author of the cafe on the edge of the world and richard is the founder of missing link he's a professional speaker and former rock and roadie we're going to talk about so many interesting things on today's show so stay tuned and we'll be back right after this message
1: Are you interested in finding out more about how HR professionals or leadership consultants can become certified to give the groundbreaking new Curiosity Code Index Assessment? The certification program will provide the ability to administer the assessment at reduced rates. Participants will learn how to interpret the results of the CCI, as well as how to deliver an innovation plan workshop designed to improve curiosity, engagement, innovation, and productivity. To find out more, go to curiositycode.com.
2: I am here with John Stralecki, who is the number one best-selling inspirational author. His books have been translated into more than 42 languages and sold more than six million copies worldwide. It's so nice to have you here, John, welcome.
0: Thank you, Diane, it's great to be on the show. And I wanna start by saying how much uh, I love the, the things that you do on the show. Aww. I love that they're... no, I'm serious. You... <laughs> When I look through and listen to the different episodes, you have this incredible knack for finding like cool stuff to discuss. You know, some like the biggest questions of humanity, the biggest questions of leadership, stuff about the brain and learning and what's possible. So I, I think it's an awesome mix.
2: Oh, uh, well, I appreciate that. You know, since I write about curiosity, I'm just curious and I like to get the most interesting diversity of. Um, you know discussions because it just makes it just my day is great because i just learn all day long but
0: uh. (laughs) (laughs) so one of my personal big five for life is to master mind over matter so i'm fascinated by the the capabilities that are often untouched within the human mind and so yeah i, I enjoy a lot of the uh, the discussions that you've had with your guests oh
2: well th- you know that's great because that ties into my work with curiosity because my whole goal was to figure out what keeps people from being curious and that's what uh, i do every day is to help build curiosity so i love that you're curious and you looked around the site so that's a great <laughs> that's wonderful and, and you know i mentioned that you were a number one best-selling inspirational author and, and i can't imagine that people haven't heard of uh, the Cafe on the Edge of the World, uh, because, I mean, it made history. Can you just tell me a little bit more uh, backstory on you just to what got you to that point? What made you want to write that book?
0: Yeah, uh, so I was, I have kind of a weird backstory in terms of I didn't really know what I wanted to do for a, a, a life, a career, any of that stuff. When I was younger, I wasn't one of those folks who at an early age knows I want to be a doctor or, Uh you know, a fireman or whatever. So I, kind of wandered around until I figured out what I wanted to do. And, uh, I still hadn't figured it out when I was in my early thirties, I was successful in different arenas, but, uh, still hadn't quite figured out what was my thing and ended up leaving everything behind and going and backpacking around the world in my early 30s, which is at a point where most people say to you, "Uh, that's crazy, and like, (laughs) why are you possibly leaving a successful career and the rest of that? Um, But I had arrived at a point in life where I looked out and thought to myself, you know, if I keep doing what I'm doing 10 years from now, I will be in those people's shoes, the folks who are 10 years farther along in the career path. And would I be happy with that? And the answer was no. And so despite the fact that everyone said it was crazy, uh, went off and backpacked around the world on $40 a day and absolutely changed my life. Um, It was something that I had dreamed about, seeing the animals, the people, the experiences of different cultures. And uh, when I came back from that experience, I didn't have a job lined up. I didn't have anything sort of in the queue for the next phase of my existence. And uh, a guy called me and he said, hey, I know that you're back in the country and I need a consultant. Would you be willing to do it? And I was like, yeah, this is kind of what I left behind. But sure, I can, you know, I could use the money. Right. And uh, so I did a gig, but honestly, Diane, I was on the last flight coming home. And I had left my book in the hotel because I'd finished it. And I had ran through the airport to get to my flight. So here I was sitting on the airplane. I got nothing to read. And you get the announcement that you hate to get if you're a traveler. Uh, we're going to be stuck on the tarmac for a while. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> you're like, no. Yeah, the dreaded. Um, but I, I – I had this thought come to me, which was, wow, I had just spent a year in nirvana, like doing everything that I had dreamed of doing. And then I'd gone back to this was, you know, this, this other thing, which was not nirvana. And the thought that came to my mind was, what would I tell someone right now is the meaning of life. And I found myself writing out a speech, even though I was not a speaker and really didn't do that kind of stuff. And strangely enough, the next day I got up and something inside of me said, sit down and type. And so I sat down at my computer and I started typing. And the next day, something said sit down and type. So this went on for 21 days, very much of a stream of conscious typing experience where I didn't look at what I had typed the previous day, I didn't plan what I was gonna type the next day, I just typed. And at the end of the 21 days, I printed it out and put it on a shelf and let it sit there for a week. And when I read it a week later, what, is, what was on those pages is almost word for word, what is in the cafe on the edge of the world. Um, which, as you said, is now you a know, five-time bestseller of the year in 42 different languages. So the big wow. takeaway for me was when you're out traveling the world, one of the things that you most rely on is your intuition. It's sort of the unexplained ability to comprehend information and think in a way that is not your traditional way of thinking. And so luckily I was in that headspace. And so when my, uh, when my intuition said sit down and type, I sat down and typed. And uh, thank goodness I did because everything about what I do now and and the contributions I've been able to make are directly tied to that decision.
2: Wow, it's amazing how certain decisions have such an impact and one choice is just can change your whole life. And you started off with the title of uh, the Why You're Here Cafe, right? You you were selling this uh, self-published originally, right?
0: yeah so i mean i came from a consulting background i knew how to start companies i knew how to launch things and so when i looked at the world of publishing and and this is going back many years but Mm -hmm. i looked at the different options i was like wow like if i do this on my own i can have this in the hands of readers in six weeks and i think literally six or seven weeks to have it on amazon being sold and uh so you know one of the great things about being an entrepreneurial type person is you're willing to do things differently and sometimes (laughs) honestly sometimes it's good that you don't know what you don't know and i'll tell you a great example of that (laughs) a funny story and so here i had gone through these 21 days and it looked like a book and it felt like a book and i thought i'm going to turn this into a book Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. since i didn't know what i was doing i took one of my favorite books off the shelf a little book called illusions by an author named richard bach and I measured it and I said, oh look, it's seven uh, inches tall by four and a quarter inches wide. So my book is going to be seven inches tall by four and a quarter inches wide. What? And uh, the <laughs> margins, um, oh look, their margins are a half inch. So I'm gonna use uh-huh. half inch margins. And, and this is a great takeaway for life. So if you don't know what you're doing, mm-hmm. if you imitate someone who is doing something well that you admire the way it's being done, like that is a great leaping off point. Right. And the other thing that happened, which was really cool. So I thought to myself, well, I've got this, I've got this book, so I need to get publicity, right? Marketing. And so I cold called the editor of a lifestyle magazine and I said, Hey, I'm John Strzelecki and I was, I've got this book and I was wondering if you'd be able to do a profile piece about the book or me. And, uh, she was kind of like, who are you? Like, what, yeah. why are you calling <laughs> Why
2: me? are you calling? Yeah. Uh-huh. yeah.
0: Uh-huh. Um, but, uh, I think I just eventually wore her down and she said, okay, send me the book. And again, Diane, I was such a complete amateur. I said, well, I don't have the book, but I can send you a manuscript. And again, looking back now, I realized how completely clueless that is. Like nobody would ever do that, right? No yeah. magazine is ever going to run something off of a manuscript. Yeah. Um, but she was like, okay, fine, just you know, whatever, send it to me. And so uh, I sent it to her. I called her a week after it arrived. And, you know, I'm John and she She's like, who? I mean, she really did not even remember our right. previous conference. And I was like, wow, that was great. I just wasted $25 on an ink cartridge. So, you know, we'll move on from here. Uh, But three (laughs) days later, uh, three days later, my phone rings and I pick it up and it's her. And she said, "Uh, we need to meet. And I thought, wow, that sounds promising, right? And so uh, she arranged to meet me at a restaurant and I got there and I sat down. And here I am sitting in front of this person we've never met, we've never spoken except for our brief phone calls. And her opening words to me that day were, your book has changed my life. Wow. Yeah, and I remember sitting at that table getting chills up and down my spine, and she wanted to tell me this amazing personal story of her life and how she was adopted and the things that that meant to her and how the questions in the cafe, because the guy finds three questions in the cafe menu, starting with, why are you here? Right. And uh, so, you know, here, uh, the very first person to read the completed manuscript opens with this book has changed my life and I think the key takeaway for that for me is whether you're doing something entrepreneurially something core leadership in a bigger corporation or whether you're doing something purely for yourself when you get little kicks from the universe that say you are on the right path it is really worth listening to those as opposed to what we sometimes do in life which is say well they were just being nice Mm -hmm. or uh, you know, th- yeah, they said that, but they probably didn't mean it. You know, it's so uh-huh. easy to put these filters in our heads that diminish the moments where the universe is talking to you through a really nice person saying something really good about the path you're on.
2: You know, that's so interesting because the four things I found that uh, inhibit curiosity uh, the second thing is assumptions, that voice in your head that you, you're going to, oh, I'm not interested. This is going to be too hard. You, you know, we, we talk ourselves out of so many things. So, that that goes right in with my research, and I think that's really fascinating. And it, you know, I, I think people want, of course, want to know why we're here. What you said, there are three questions. Why don't right? we hit all three so people could see what to expect? They're going to learn from the book in, in the in the first place.
0: Yeah. So and it said in the context of a story. So mm-hmm. I, I was one of those kids in school who, you know, you'd have the 10 pages of content. And then on the 11th page, it'd be like a purple shadow box. And they right. would tell a story. Mm-hmm. I lived for the Like so I, uh-huh. I couldn't hold my attention through the 10 pages, but I totally got it through the story. And so when I write, I write in stories. And uh, so a guy walks into this cafe, and he's trying to figure out life. He's trying to just get away from it all to, to find, isn't there something more than just the day in, day out? And he finds on the back of the menu three questions, and they are, why are you here, do you fear death, and are you fulfilled? And as you can imagine, initially, he's kind of like, where the heck am I, all right? But- right. He starts having conversations with people in the cafe and he starts looking at things from a different perspective and by the time he leaves the next morning, he looks at life in general and his life in particular from a whole different viewpoint.
2: So why, why those questions? Why do you fear death?
0: What I've discovered over the course of my life is that what people fear is not actually death. They don't fear the act of dying. Right. What they fear is getting to the end of their life and realizing that they haven't lived and i think that we are hardwired with the awareness that this is a pretty amazing planet and there's so many ad- adventures and experiences and things that really would fill our moments uh, with quality memories quality experiences mm-hmm. and when we're not doing those things we have this sense of loss because literally every minute that ticks by gets us closer to the end you know statistically right. the average about twenty eight thousand nine hundred days and if you really want to freak yourself out, you take your age, multiply by 365, subtract from 28,900. And statistically, that's about how many days you have left on the planet. And those days become very, very precious as you get older. Uh, I don't know about you. I'm, mm-hmm. I'm pushing, I just crossed over 50 recently. And mm-hmm. uh, I don't, if you ever had this experience, you go on vacation, like you mm-hmm. say like, you're super busy and your schedule's kind of crazy, and you're like, I just need a week off. And so you head down someplace beautiful and the first day you get there and you're like this is amazing they've got tennis they've got kayaking they've got you know sambal lessons this is going to be the most amazing week ever and you just sort yeah. of chill and relax and it feels great and you're like i can't believe we've got a whole week of this you know and then the next day you get up and you go and you do some kayaking you do a little parasailing and you're like this is amazing we've got a whole week but about the fourth day of vacation, you're like, what the heck? Like, it's half over already. Yeah, right. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then those next two days fly by at a pace that is radically different than the first two days. And what I've discovered about life is that uh, when you cross 50, which I recently have, like I said, I'm sort of on Thursday to hand up vacation. You know? And That'll be your next going. <laughs> it's going by faster, and uh-huh. so I think that awareness of how precious life is becomes more and more apparent, and that urgency to live in a way that really makes you feel like, I really did it. I, I came and, and did and saw everything that I wanted to do while I was here.
2: You know, as you said that, my mom I was uh, talking about this yesterday because she's 87, and she's, you know, because of COVID, she feels like she's losing days, She and she says, at this mm-hmm. age, it feels like I'm losing. I, I, you know, more than what you would be losing at, at your age, because you'll catch up a little bit, because you can do things later. And, and what do you say to people who feel like that right now?
0: I, first of all, I think that's an incredible, uh, inspired observation. And I think that's one of the reasons why you do see people feeling particularly sad or depressed uh, at times during the COVID experiences, because yeah, they, they're fully aware, uh, you know, that this is the case. I, I the third book in the cafe series that I wrote, which actually isn't out in English yet, but there's this really wonderful character called Max. He's like a seventy-eight year old guy, and he challenges the, the character of John and he says, Well, tell me something that you love. You know, he's like, Uh well, I, I love Christmas and he's like, All right, how old are you? He says, You know, forty some years old. He's well, you got only so many left, you know. And you think of I've only got wait, twenty-eight Christmases left? Like and so if you're quite a bit older and you're experiencing COVID and maybe you can't spend it the way you would normally would by getting on a plane and spending with family yeah it's going to be frustrating so my suggestion is and this is something I've, I've done my best to adopt for myself and for my family is if you can't go macro go micro
2: okay and so
0: I'm an, I'm an adventure traveler at heart and normally for at least three months of the year I'm out there kayaking rivers in Central America Doing something exotic and interesting, Uh, and since I can't do that on a macro scale, then on a micro scale, I'll throw my kayak in the back of my truck and try and find a place that I haven't been that's within an hour drive or two hour drive of my house. And if you can't spend quality time with your family in person, then wow, thank goodness we have Zoom and other technologies which enable you to be virtually there. This is the kind of thing that when I was a kid, and you'd go to Disney World. And you'd go to, like, the, I can't remember what the exhibit was called, but it was, like, the carousel. Oh, it was Carousel of Progress, and they talked about the future, right? <laughs> yeah. And in the future, you'd uh-huh. be able to see your family the on the TV. Uh, right, yeah. Do you remember? Oh,
2: I'm old enough to remember the e-tickets. They were a big deal.
0: <laughs> yeah, and, and so we looked uh-huh. at that back then, and I was like, whoa, that would be crazy cool. Uh-huh. Well, no, I mean, that's just our everyday reality now.
2: Yeah, I loved uh, Disneyland with the, all the future ones where you shrink to the Atom was the smallest thing back then, um, but it, it's interesting to think of it this way for um, what you could do at a different level because, you know, because her whole thing, my mom's whole thing was to be able to play bridge, which she couldn't do and her cards were her life. We found a, a website which I love called Trickster Cards, I think is what it's called. Uh, but yes. Y- yes. And y- my kids could get on from California and I'm in Arizona and she gets on and we can all, four of us, play cards. And it's like you're on Zoom so you could see each other. And there's ways around these things. So that's what we're doing. Um, what the other, you know, I, I think I'm like you though, you know, I, I'm, I'm very, um, I loved hiking out of the Grand Canyon doing different things. And I miss some of the, the travel kind of things that i used to do but i've been doing a lot of local traveling and and uh because you just got to do what you got to do but um we we had talked before the show that you have updated this the cafe on the edge of the world uh for a new uh, edition of the book and i'm curious did you what kind of stories and what kinds of things did you change based on things that you've experienced since the last time uh you wrote the book
0: uh, yeah so let me talk about that and also uh-huh. let me give you one more tip because you were asking about things to do uh-huh. uh which sparked something in my head so first uh-huh. i love trick cards it's so funny you brought that up because uh-huh. my dad and mom like euchre uh uh-huh. so yes. yeah they we have can't play euchre games, it, uh-huh. yeah and so that has been a great resource if you're if you're someone who's listening and you have someone in your family who is older and loves to play cards, um, definitely check that out because it is super cool. That's you cute. can see each other yeah, Although, Love it. I can't tell you the amount of times I've had to share with my mom how to move one window over so that she can see us <laughs> and play at the same time. But, so be ready for that. If be ready, ready
2: for a lot of that.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Uh-huh. Um, but uh, my other tip would be, you're right. So this is, I can't be out there traveling, can't be out there traveling. So I've tried to treat this time as preparation for launch. Okay. And so if you have a desire to go to New Zealand, for example, and you're not able to grab your ticket and go, then this is an awesome time to get your copy of Lonely Planet Backpacker's Guide to New Zealand and spend time on that every night and watch cool YouTube videos. And you know, you'll know you probably be well prepared, uh, maybe even better than you've ever been before for this adventure when it's actually time to jump on that airplane and go. But mentally our brain loves to experience these things in actual format, of course, but it also loves to experience them in preparation for and so let's say if you're actually in New Zealand and kayaking a river, that's a 10 out of 10. Mm -hmm. But honestly, the prep time reading about it, getting excited about it is probably in the range of a seven out of 10. And so you can still have great quality minutes preparing for the experiences that you're going to have when COVID is done.
2: Yeah. Yeah. There's just other things. It is harder on older people, go because they are seeing, you know, their time being limited. And I think anything you can do uh, to find alternative routes to having people feel something, you know, that they're doing the things they love, it's really important. Absolutely. Did did you come up with new stories uh, in the the latest edition or just what kind of changes did you make to your book?
0: Yeah, so one of the things that uh, I discovered in the process was that for some of it is tactical and, mm-hmm. and stylistic. So I, I'm a much better writer now than when that first one came through me, uh, just in my ability to process and, and think through things and the dialogue patterns. Mm-hmm. And so there were improvements in the dialogue patterns that way. But I also found that uh, just a slightly different perspective was there for me. And it's yeah. interesting because when you're – When you're farther along the adventure and you have to sort of put yourself back in the place when you were 28 and mentally in that state, uh, you know, you sort of have to make sure you're holding that space for the 28 year old who hasn't figured out these questions yet. Um, But it's just improvements like that and the feedback that I've gotten has been really good. So I'm happy that I did it. And that's, you know, that's always the question, too. When you've got something that's very, very successful, do you go back and, and make changes to it?
2: right and uh, Diet, one of the oh, things of coke you know the new coke it, it i was... know
0: right <laughs> yeah and, 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 right. and what's interesting is you typically hear about the catastrophic failures and so the uh-huh. the messaging is that would be about the dumbest idea ever john to, to do something like that but i think that if you delve into great biographies one of the things you also hear is this intuitive connection so i remember steve jobs and, and his leadership style is not something that i personally would emulate because i think that he had some some stuff that people didn't really appreciate But one of the things that he did well was he was very in tune with like, if he just felt something was off, he was willing to dive deep and explore why that was the case. Yeah. And I remember the story of the Apple stores where they had mocked it up. They were ready to go. They were within six months of starting to roll these things out and they walked through it and he said, not something's not right. And they drastically changed the look, the feel the layout of the stores. And now that's, I mean, people love hanging out in the Apple store. So, for me, one of the points of courage was to go back to the story and say, you know what, I've never quite been happy with that one line or these two lines. Like, what would make it better? And to challenge myself to do that.
2: Yeah, I, I think it's hard sometimes. I have people send me their books of friends that are right now. I had a friend the other day who sent me her book because she, she gets right in it and she you keep looking at it and sometimes you need some outside perspective because you're yeah. so sick of looking at the same thing over and over again sometimes. And, and I think you have to really... I don't know, do you give your book to other people or do you totally rely on your own intuition?
0: No, well, I have a process that I use where mm-hmm. I will go through and, and I very much let the story flow through me as opposed to editing chapter by chapter, for example. So I'll let the story flow through me and then I'll start the editing process at the end and I'll probably edit it 30, 40 times before anybody else sees it. But then after that, no, I have a, I have a group of 10 folks who are very trusted readers and i tell them i want critical feedback i don't want to hear it's all great you know and everything is very nice about that i I really want to hear you know in chapter four you kind of lost me or i really love this story and here's why and what i'm looking for is trends and patterns and i think this again is it's it's a good technique for a broader context not just as writers excuse me but if one person tells you um i didn't really like that part well that's just an opinion but if three of the ten tell you that that part didn't work for them then, as an as a writer, if your goal is to really inspire the reader, which mine is, and three of the ten people didn't really connect with it, is I owe it to the reader to go back and look at that part and say, how can I make that better? Yeah, yeah.
2: I, I think I think it's a it's a big process, and I've I've written five books, and every time I write, I learn something new, uh, and I, I get more input, and it, it really is helpful to have outside eyes. But uh, so we, we, you know, I was looking back at your bio, and I, actually, I used to. Um, be a, uh, I used to work at uh, Embry-Riddle Aeronautical. I so saw you went to Really? Yeah, yeah I've been a professor you know, in different universities doing different things. And uh, actually, up to, I think I've, had, I've worked for 10 different ones throughout the years, and that was one. And I really liked working there. Um, did you, you know, wanted to what, be a pilot, right? But you weren't able to make it uh, due to a, your uh, heart condition, right? Did, now, how, how are you with all that?
0: Yeah, so this is another interesting example of the way in which life pushes you okay. in a different direction. So I didn't, like I said, I didn't know what I wanted to be when I grew up um, going through high school. I was a very good student. I was a good athlete, but I didn't have a clear direction that was calling me. And then, Diane, I saw the movie Top Gun, and I thought, yeah. I want to do that. Like, And it wasn't the military aspect of it. It was the pushing yourself to be your best that I was really drawn to. And, uh, so I, I did, I went down to a, a schools that you mentioned Embry Riddle down in Daytona beach, Florida, and, uh, went on the path of becoming a pilot and, uh, I did all the training. I invest, I'd been working since I was 12 years old cause my family didn't come from a lot of means. And so I took all of my life savings and invested all in this education and, uh, ended up getting an opportunity to do an internship with United airlines, uh, very late in my college career, which was like one of the most sought after interns in the country. Uh, because you could accelerate your path by about 10 years to becoming a pilot. And when I went back from my interview with United then, um, I failed the medical exam. And uh, when, when I got the results back and I went to see a medical professional, they said, well, the good news is that this only impacts about one out of every 100,000 people. So oh, you know, statistically, congratulations <laughs> And uh, the, the other amazing thing for you, John, they said, is that this really only matters if you want to be a pilot or an astronaut. Oh, great. I was like, are you flipping kidding me? Like, yeah. I, I've invested my life savings in this dream, and you're telling me I had better chances of winning the lottery than having this condition? Oh. And on, on top of that, Diane, the condition is that if I'm in a rapid descent, so if I'm in an emergency freefall, the, the aircraft has lost all its engines and we're plummeting to the earth. Oh. If I was if I was laying down, I have a higher risk of blacking out than the uh, average person. Yeah, and so my comment to them was, "Listen, if I'm the captain of the aircraft and we're in emergency descent, what would I be doing laying down?" Right, 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 right. Yeah. Uh, <gasps> and I said, "I think, I think that's the issue you have. You got bigger issues." Yeah, right? you do. Um, you have a lot bigger issues. Something. Yeah. Uh uh-huh. um, yeah. But they said for insurance reasons that knowing that and having that as, as part of my medical story that the airlines would never hire me. Yeah. And so my dream literally ended in one letter one day. Wow. And, but the thing is, is if, if I had followed that path, I never would have become an author. Yeah. And so mm-hmm. uh, here I am, I get to do what I consider to be the greatest gig ever as it relates to me and my personal values and my desire to try and make a contribution in the lives of others. And had the universe not sent me a very, very strong tap on the forehead, I would not be who I am today. and so which is, what I've learned in the process what I've learned in the process of that is if we have the ability when something is happening that is different than we expect uh, earlier in my life I, I and I definitely did this when it happened for my flying career, I got that letter and I said, why is this happening to me? This is so unfair. you know I mean I have worked my ass off I have I've been a great student. I'm a good person. this is totally unfair. Why is this happening to me
2: right and it was it was very
0: much from a place of uh, of anger and frustration and disappointment. And what I've learned over time is that in those moments when something is different than I expected, and I do feel it's unfair, if I can ask the question, but I can ask it from a place of curiosity. So, huh, mm-hmm. why is this happening? Mm-hmm. I wonder why this is happening. If I can step back from the experience and the emotions associated with it, I learned that there is actually a reason why it's happening and that there is a, a destination in mind that I couldn't possibly have imagined which is going to be even better than the path I was expecting. And I'm not saying it's easy to do, I'm not saying I'm an expert on it, but I am saying that in my experience when I've been able to do it effectively, it is amazing the good things that follow.
2: Wow, yeah, and I think you know a lot of people look back, it's easy to look back and go, yeah, that was a great thing. And sometimes you gotta remind yourself when you're going through some of the bad parts of getting there. I think a lot of people want it to be easy, but it's like, you can climb a mountain by having, well, you can get to the top of the mountain, I should say, by having somebody drop you at the top. But it's the experience of climbing it that's the cool part. And sometimes it's the hard part. And I think a lot of people get caught up in the hard and forget the cool part. And I think everything that you write about is really inspirational. And a lot of people who are listening to this uh, are gonna wanna pick up the latest edition of your book and learn more about you. Is there some kind of a link or something you'd like to share?
0: Uh, Sure. So we're available on Amazon. So the book, first book title is The Cafe on the Edge of the World. And uh, I'm also available on all social media channels, Instagram, Facebook, etc. And I do post content very regularly that uh, the goal is to inspire people to live a truly spectacular and amazing life, whatever that means to them. And so if you're looking for that dose of inspiration, then definitely check out the stuff that we post. Uh, And then people can find me on my website, which is my name, JohnStrolecki.com.
2: Well, is awesome, John. This was so interesting. I'm so glad to have you on the show. Thank you so much.
0: Thank you. I really appreciate the opportunity to have the discussion. And uh, thanks for all the stuff that you're doing.
2: Oh, thanks. And we will be back right after this message. Curiosity is a critical and direct link to improving motivation and communication-based issues that challenge organizations. By improving workers' curiosity, you can enhance employee engagement, emotional intelligence, innovation, productivity, and many other byproducts that come with that intrinsic but underutilized attribute. To find out more about how to improve curiosity, please go to curiositycode.com. I am here with Richard Mulholland, who is the founder of Missing Link. He's a professional speaker and former rock and roadie. I'm so excited to have you here, Rich. Welcome.
1: Ah, Thank you so much. It's a privilege to uh, be with you today.
2: Well, I was looking forward to this. You have a really interesting background. I know you're co-founder of several different types of companies. You've written three books. You're a global speaker. You do so much speaking. I mean, in 26 countries, six continents, that's quite a bit. So I want to get a little bit of background on you, if you wouldn't mind.
1: Yeah, sure thing. So I, I started out, I used to actually tour with rock bands. That was my that was my entry point and touring with bands in south africa if you didn't have South Africans are great. I'm from Scotland originally and ah. uh, South Africans are quite funny in that if the, if the weather was bad or it was cold, they wouldn't go out to concerts. So it meant that in winter, we were the second largest supplier of staging gear on the planet, but in winter we didn't have work, which is really crazy because I'm from Scotland. If there was, you know, if people didn't go to concerts when the weather was bad in Scotland, there would never be any concerts, but uh, <laughs> I ended up starting a corporate division. So I was about 21 years old and I said to my boss, listen, why don't we try sell to the rave market and the corporate markets. And I will sell them like that they could be rock stars at their conferences. And they loved this idea. And I was, you know, actually, the business took off quite well. But what I quickly realized is it didn't matter how good the lighting sound and AV was. If the person who stood up on stage was rubbish, it was rubbish. Right. So I kind of moonlit at the site. And I ended up starting Missing Link when I was 22 years old. And the idea was that I was going to try and, and have a little side hustle where I helped people with the presentation component. After six months, we had five employees and I figured, well, maybe this could be an actual hustle. And so I quit my job at GearHouse and I went and I started Missing Link. I'm 46 now. I've been doing it ever since.
2: Wow. Well, you know, I, I'm in a lot of speaker groups and, and different things since I speak quite a bit. And I know that this whole industry is going through a lot (laughs) with covid and uh you know and and so a lot of people are having challenges who work as speakers but i know a lot of um things that i do i work with people to help them learn to be in front of the media uh because of what you know speaking in front of groups and having radio shows and stuff and i i see a lot of leaders need help with learning how to present the way a speaker might. And I don't think a lot of leaders have had that training. Um, do you think that all leaders need to be able to speak well? How much do you, do they focus on that?
1: Well, so much so that I think if you can not communicate, you're not a leader, you're a manager. I believe that effective communication is the difference between leaders and management. Mm-hmm. And uh, leaders are not necessarily the people with the authority in an organization, they're the people with the voice. And to me, any, any executive that can communicate has an unfair advantage over an an executive that can't in any field. I really do believe that leaders need to step up and, and, and figure this out, because unfortunately in university and college and schools, they don't teach this well. They teach a lot of intellectual skills, but they don't teach how you can communicate that intellectual idea once you have it. And that's what changes the world. That's what wins the pitches.
2: It's a challenge to speak well, and having taught so many courses, I've had to to work with people with this, um, getting that ability to communicate and connect with people. A lot of it requires, uh, first of all, you got to know your audience. And I think a lot of people don't think about all the preparation that goes into speaking. Do you find that you're spending a lot of
1: time helping people with the preparation part? Well, yeah. In fact, you don't have to learn how to Let the the, probably the misnomer here is the word speaker because Mm -hmm. then we we give too much value to the speaky bit, right? And I'm sure you have as well, right? Mm -hmm. Seen these incredible speakers that are so charismatic, but they just breathe hot air for like forty five minutes, and at the end you've laughed and you've enjoyed yourself, you've had a great time, but nothing has changed, right? Right. And then you see these quietly confident thinkers who have structured a narrative that that hooked you at the beginning that kept you you had to i call them lean in speakers they don't Mm -hmm. speak loud they're not over the top but you end up leaning in because you don't want to miss anything and at the end of the talk they have rocked you to your core and driven you to action now the difference between the good speaker and the bad speaker is preparation it's the narrative the action framework they follow to get you uh, to get their content across so a lot of people think they have to learn to be good speakers but no you have to be we say you write a good presentation before you design it, before you deliver it. So you actually have to become a good writer, so to speak. Mm-hmm. And you've got to structure your message well. And And I always say that a, a mediocre speaker that is confident in a well-structured narrative will always kill it on stage. But yeah. right? you earn your applause long before you mic up.
2: Yeah. You know, I'm thinking a lot of these Zig Ziglar type of speakers who run across the stage and, and are very dynamic. They're fun, like you said. But I, I think some of the TED Talks even that I've seen do really well, like Sir Ken Robinson, he's just leaning there against the, <laughs> the, the wall. Yeah. You know what I mean? He's not doing anything spectacular, but that's one of the best TED Talks or most viewed because he he gets through to you, Right.
1: Early. And that's because he got you on the hook early. Mm -hmm. Uh, To me, there are kind of four, there are four phases, four acts to a presentation. In act one, you have to give them a reason to care. In act two, you have to give them a reason to believe. In act three, you have to tell them what they need to know. And in act four, you have to tell them what they need to do. And good talks, good talks delivered by even bad speakers, uh, follow that format. Uh, Elon Musk is an example of uh, South African uh, as mm-hmm. well. Uh, we were actually at the same high school, but oh really, uh, Elon Musk, huh. yeah, well, yeah, but not at different times, uh-huh. but Elon Musk, I, I remember watching a talk that he did with, uh, where he was launching that battery that goes on the wall. And I showed it to my staff, and I said, "What do you guys think of this?" And we did a talk teardown on it, and they were all like, "It's terrible! It's, you know, it's really not good." And this presentation was so bad. He said "ums" and "ahs," and he didn't have a clicker, and he didn't wasn't slick and prepared. And then at the end of it, I said, "Do you want one?" And they were all like, "Yes, definitely." <laughs> I was like, "So how can you say it's bad?" Uh But because, Uh again, our our action framework, those four steps, he made you care in the beginning, then he gave you some reason to trust him, then he Mm -hmm. gave you the detail you needed to know, and then he called you to action. If you got through that messaging, then it's a great presentation, just delivered maybe with a, a little bit less finesse than other people. But for some, that can be charming. There are some speakers who come across as so polished, so perfect that it almost feels uh, like a recital you're at. Yeah. yeah, totally. totally. Uh-huh. So.
2: Yeah, I, I'm with you on that. That's interesting about um, going to the same high school uh, too, even though it wasn't the same time. Actually, I went to high school with David Spade at the same time. And
1: <laughs> oh, wow. Cool. Yeah, so it, right. It's always
2: cool to see who, you, who went to your high school. Um, but I, I think it's, it, it is uh, a challenge to get into this business. I mean a lot of these speaker groups where they're talking about how it's a bad time
1: to get into speaking and a lot of the conferences have been canceled. No, it's a terrible, t- it's an amazing time. So I'm so sorry to interrupt you. Right, I, I, right, right. My apologies. No, it no. It is an incredible time to get into speaking. It's the single best time. I've for been speaking for 17 years. Mm-hmm. Well, there are more there are more stages than ever before True. in human history, right? right. There right. are you know, more. Every business that was running one one webinar, one conference a quarter is now running a webinar a week. Yeah. Right? They are looking for talent. Your access, your geographical anchor, has been lifted. I speak every week in a different country around the world, and I've not left home. As you mentioned earlier, last year I spoke in twenty-six countries on six continents. Now we can glamorize that to make it sound nice, but I can tell you. And, you know, I'm not yet at the point where I'm commanding first class travel everywhere I go. I'm stuck on a crappy economy class uh, airline three quarters (laughs) of the year. I Uh spent seven days in a row twice at home in 365 days. And I have a 17-year-old and a 13-year-old child. Yeah, that's hard. This has been an upgrade in every sense. So I'm able to speak all over the world. My authority, I'm able to amplify amplify my authority with much less friction. So I have a conversation with somebody in a, you know, I'm doing a talk. um, Well, in fact, I've got a meeting after this about a talk that I'm doing in Atlanta in about two weeks. And if it goes well, I'll be in Atlanta in two weeks. And this couldn't have happened before. This was a three, four-month discussion. Right, right. The, The other... Yeah, It's just an amazing time for people who have uh, thought and authority and position to put themselves out there because the world is looking for leaders. That's the other thing. Uh, leadership has been democratized again because as of March this year, nobody nobody was ahead in the race. Nobody knew how to deal with this. There were, there were no authority figures. So all of a sudden, the few that were able to stand up and say, hey, I have a hypothesis of how this will look, they were the winners. And I think there's another opportunity for this in January next year, everybody's going to be looking for that back to school, back to work after the, the festive season talk. Mm-hmm. And if you have a thought and an idea, well, sorry, and, and I know the timing of this, but um, yeah, it's just a great time early on. We are sitting here now in early in 21 and people are looking for leaders to to help them through this new year. And I think it's a great opportunity for us.
2: Well, it is and in a lot of ways. And it was interesting because I was just talking to somebody about this uh, just before I got on with you here, um, because in a lot of groups, I, a lot of the world-class speakers are not getting the same kind of money they were getting, though, because the, the supply and demand of speakers and and the companies uh, have had to uh, cut back because they haven't had the funds. And one of the things that he was saying was that uh, when he hears that he he asks th- them to give them uh, to give him their four biggest challenges and he creates videos for each of those that they could have in addition to the regular pay they pay him for the talk and they go yeah that'll be great you know you give me this extra value are you having to add any extra value to get them to pay you your normal fees?
1: Um so. There's two ways to do that. In some cases, I have been adding extra value. So with this Mm -hmm. group that I'm chatting about, uh, that I'm chatting to in an hour, Mm -hmm. with them, what I said was that I was going to arrange some time for them to have access to my academy. So after I finish my masterclass, top-level content on speaking and presenting, I'm going to give them hacks, tools, and trips for their team to jump onto with my, you know, my staff who actually do this for a living. But mm-hmm. of course let's be honest this is i believe public speakers you get paid for your talk the good speakers get paid for their talk the mm-hmm. great speakers get paid from their talk and i want to get paid to arrive on the stage but i want to get paid more because i was there and so i have a lot of downstream offerings so i give mm-hmm. a small taste of value right. beyond me as a speaker with you know my trainers from my company and then of course invariably at the end of that there is a mul- you know a lot of opportunity for us to engage as a business. So Mm -hmm. I am adding on more value because it's easy. In the past, Mm -hmm. that would have been difficult. I would have had to maybe send my trainers run to their offices, do these things. If it was an international gig, it would have been cost prohibitive. Whereas now I'm able to add value in a way that I never was before. And the other thing is, and I don't know if you find yourself doing this, but I've actually started really enjoying presenting online more. So I I had an event. (laughs) <laughs> like I'm in total control of my experience. Uh-huh. I'm not a stage manager, and I and I I can manage how I want it to manage. And also, mm-hmm. the the expectation is low. So if you're if you're a, a you know seven or eight out of ten of, a, as a regular speaker, you are up against other seven or eight out of tens in the real world. But if you're a seven out of ten or a seven or eight out of ten online presenter, you know you're the gap between you and everybody else is massive. Yeah. So you yeah. just have to be quite good, and you're standing apart mm-hmm. to the point where I've been saying to people, you know, if if I if I come to your event, I'll do it for this amount. But if I if I'm speaking at uh, remotely, if you allow me to speak from my home studio, then I'll be speaking for thirty percent less. Right. And I would take that deal all day long. I would too. Yeah, I do the same thing, and I think that that's,
2: that's so. Um, it, it it's just so much more flexible. You can do so much more speaking. I mean, as a professor, I since I've worked remotely, I've taught you know so many classes online. Uh, I, I you can make so much more money if you work remotely because you're able to work for more your time. You know, you're not driving, you're not parking, you're not flying. Well, all the things you're doing, you know. And and I think it's the most efficient way. I think though, one thing I'm seeing a lot of the Zoom fatigue though with people not wanting to attend any more zoom events in some respect because they've just spent six hours today for work or whatever on zoom or whatever platform what what are you doing to stand out for for to get capture attention because people are just zoomed out
1: so i think zoom or webinar fatigue in general is a real thing. But I think what's probably the real bit about it, and, and I guess it's different because if you've been in a meeting, so we refer to, the, so there's two points here. The first is that I don't think people have webinar fatigue. I think they have crappy webinar fatigue. <laughs> They're not tired of uh-huh. smart people sharing smart messages. They're tired of um, people who do not respect the attention being paid to them, just kind of showing up unprepared to deliver a bad presentation and rushing through it. Mm -hmm. You know, one of the big amounts of work I had to do is go through all my 45-minute keynotes and drop them all down to 30 minutes because you've got to respect people's attention. Uh, There's an efficiency there in that I get through things in a shorter period of time as well, but it did take some work to get there. The second part is the change of venue is a big deal. So I see Zoom as a venue, and I Mm -hmm. see tools like Hopin or Crowdcast as venues. Mm -hmm. And you got to purpose-choose the venue for the experience you want to give. Now, Zoom is, to me, in many ways, the best in class when it comes to a a small, intimate meeting, 20, 30, 40 people jump on, get your cameras on and we'll smile and joke and laugh at each other. And there's a lot of cool things you can do and have fun with your audience with using your filters and, and, you know, just engage with everybody and see their faces. Right. As soon as I start going up in the numbers, though, I want to I want them to feel like they're in something else. So I'll take them to a tool like and again, I'm very partial to Crowdcast. Right. And we'll go to Crowdcast and I'll present on there. And there's certain different things I can I can do to make it feel different. And then small little things. I I don't get fancy, but I do Mm -hmm. try to. I I obviously try to. I always stand when I present. I always use much more interaction. Mm-hmm. I found that audiences have shifted. They were passive attendees. Now they're active participants. Yeah, and yeah. it's your job as a speaker to make sure that you treat them as such and keep them active throughout your presentation. The old world of presenting was to hold an audience's attention. The new world of presenting is to interrupt their distraction. So you've got to assume that you've lost them and, and, and ask yourself, okay, I've been speaking for five minutes. They're checking their email. How do I win them back? And then yeah. you got to use interaction or various other tools and tricks to draw them back into the room with you, and and to win them back. And I've loved the challenge; it's, yeah, it's, it's so much more nuanced than it was before.
2: Yeah, I, I like that too. And as so you were bringing that up, I know a lot of people are training. Let's say you're training a hundred people to do something interactive. What would you use Crowdcast, and why? Uh, I'm curious. You know, say you know, I I know I do a lot of. Um, Sessions where you're training people to do like uh, personality assessments and that kind of thing, where you need them to be able to interact. I'm curious what platform you would like for something like
1: that. So most of mine personally aren't that. Mm-hmm. Uh, using Zoom and Miro and things like that interactively mm-hmm. with each other is great. I think mm-hmm. what uh, Zoom are doing with their Zaps now—they're launching their, you know, Zoom API to allow people to create apps that integrate in the experience. I think is mm-hmm. a genius move, and mm-hmm. I think that. Uh, that zoom and mirror mix is going to be absolutely incredible and it's going to change the game for everybody, for me uh, for interactive there's two kind of platforms or venues that I really quite enjoy the one is uh, Hopin in that you can have multiple different experiences in little expo rooms. Uh, you can hmm. have breakouts obviously, but you can right. also have uh, sessions where there can be speed networking or speed problem solving. So one, we can pair up people with a technical mindset with people with a creative mindset, throw them in a room and give them some questions to answer and they have a timer and after two minutes, it kicks them out and they meet the next person and then they share all those ideas. Hmm. So Hopin is really, really great for that. It's actually a phenomenal tool as well if you wanted to have exhibitor space and do things, and then if you want to create some serendipity. Now I'm not a big fan of these super fancy schmancy get a big three D avatar and walk around like you're on Second Life. I think they trade <laughs> utility for novelty. Uh-huh. You know they, they 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 they're putting they're fixing they're fixing the garnish instead of fixing the steak. Uh-huh. But Gather.town, if you've not seen it, it's a very interesting play that I recommend people check out. Yeah, at first mom? I was completely. Yeah dot town t-o-w-n t-o-w town okay t-o-w yeah okay okay so i was i went into it as a complete another skeptic i was like no this is ridiculous it looks Uh like um a a fantasy flight version one uh, sorry um final fantasy version one game it was it's uh, these cute little avatar people who walk around but Uh because they've gone with these low almost you know 32-bit graphics it means that the Onboarding is super simple, you're up and running within two seconds, you know exactly what to do 10 seconds later, and then you walk around and you see other people and as I walk up to you my little person walks up to your person, as we get closer our cameras start fading in, and Uh then when we get within each other's area we chat like a normal zoom call. But ah. then they, they announce that the presentation is about to start. If you walk into the presentation room, now they, you can either do it using their presentation software or just by walking through a, a room, it can initiate a Zoom call. So then you're just in Zoom or Teams or Webinar Jam or Crowdcast or whatever you want to be. Mm-hmm. And then when you come back out, you can have these little indi- individual meeting spaces and things. And it's actually highly functional. We're building out. So we had award winning offices that we've closed, mm-hmm. but we're now building out our meeting spaces and our individual Zoom room in a virtual version of our office so that we can actually just I can walk into somebody up to somebody else's desk. And if they're not in a meeting and um, I can you know see them and, and ping them and, you know, if they're available, I'll, I'll chat to them very easily. So it's a very cool tool for really serendipity, cool. which we've lost, but actually functional, which I'm quite surprised by
2: yeah you know I, I I think a lot of these I, I know I, I do I do a lot on zoom and teams and different um you know versions of different software and so I'm always fascinated to see what people have had that worked well. i have my daughter was telling me she was in a meeting the other day where the, it it went from um, her screen over into Slack and her Slack screen, you know, if somebody pinged her, it would come up onto her screen, which you don't want that. You know, you don't want other people looking right. at what you're working at. And I n- I've never had that in anything like Zoom or Teams or anything. I can't remember the name of the software she said that she used for that, but she said that that was a problem in that particular setting. So it's going to be interesting to see how they make these great. Uh, Teams is good for some things, but then I, the having to share your screen and then let go of the share to see, share a different thing is, is kind of a um, challenge. I think Zoom's been my favorite, uh, just right. for the ease of use. But uh, I, I would like to see more interactivity. And uh, w- which one do you think is the best for the largest groups of people?
1: If it, you know, if it's a complete one-to-many, if it's a large theater-style venue, because mm-hmm. if it's if it's a yeah. few-to-many, it depends on the amount of presenters you have. So, Webinar mm-hmm. Jam allows about eight of eight presenters to be live on stage at a mm-hmm. time and a stage manager with the backstage area. Uh, Crowdcast allows six, but one of those will be utilized by the stage manager, but it's something about the interface that we find we get much higher engagement there. Uh Teams as it stands right now, I still refuse to do talks on teams. Mm -hmm. I find the, the way that they prioritize the slide over the presenter shows a lack of understanding of how a presentation is supposed to be. Mm -hmm. And so I don't want to be a little thumbnail at the bottom. I I tend to actually use a crazy video integrated into me. So instead of me sharing screen, what I do is the slide shares the screen with me. So I'm in complete control. I'm not sharing anything. Mm -hmm. Uh, But for for the most part, I find Zoom, Zoom webinar, Crowdcast would be my favorites to go to. What my dream is, is I wish somebody would come up with a speaker-centric system. And so what I would like is that... Let's say you booked me to do my legacy talk based on my first book. Well, I have the slides preloaded and ready to go. I have the polls preloaded and ready to go. And the polls will trigger when I get Mm. to a certain slide. So literally, if you booked talk A, I send you the room for talk A. Where at the beginning of the talk, I literally just double click on this link. I don't have to think about anything. The slides are preloaded. The videos are preloaded. Everything's ready to go. And it's basically a packaged keynote room. So like, it, like when you're in Broadway, you go to a theater and the set is all ready to go and everything's done. Right. I want that for each one of my talks and I, I would pay a certain amount oh, that's a good uh, idea, yeah. each time I deliver that talk. So you arrive in there and all I do is click the next button. And if the next button triggers a video, then the video triggers. If the next button triggers a poll, then the poll triggers. And I want the the ability to be able to set the preferences of my room based on the presentation or talk that I'm giving. Yeah, And I would then pay as a speaker part of my service I would offer to my clients is to say that I built up a really, really nice, beautiful experience for their staff to come to in my own venue, just like you want to take them off site, um, take them off zoom, and come to to, you know, come play in my place, and I have that really, really set up to give them a very unique and tailored experience and once i own that space so what i'm playing with now is lighting setups so that as i change my slides the lighting scenes in my because that was my background as a lighting designer the lighting scenes around me in my room would change relevant to the slide i'm on so depending on the mood i want to create and things i want to do and i think this is an opportunity to do cool stuff that we've never been able to do before
2: yeah yeah well i i think that these are all great tips and I hope people uh, I've had people from Zoom and you know others on my show uh and I hope they they, they listen to it. Um I, I agree with you on the Teams thing with it's it's I have to use that for certain universities and you know you're you're a little tiny thing in the bottom on the corner. And I, I think you need to I think that some of these things need to be addressed. And I, I I know we um we didn't have a whole lot of time, but I, I want to just touch on the fact that you've written these three books. Uh, and uh, it it was uh, legacy, Boredom Slayer, and Storyteller. Um, uh, When you're speaking, are you speaking about the work in your books or are you speaking more about what you're doing to help leaders speak? Uh, What exactly is your focus?
1: Yeah, so I've I've got some of the content is dependent. So each one of the books uh, is obviously to do with some part of the business that we deal with. Mm -hmm. Our primary business is helping people communicate better through presentation, we, we care about how you activate your audiences. I have talks around those various areas, um, but also talks specifically, you know, built around public speakers and how to build better speaking engines. We have a, a speaking program that we run for people, and so I want to try and, and get that across. Story Setter, for example, is about how to use stories to sell more effectively. So if I'm hired to speak at a sales conference or, you know, for sales teams, that would be the one I would go to. And I have a number of different talks that I've written just because it's things that I'm really passionate about at the time. Which is something I wouldn't advise most if you were uh, an aspiring speaker, I would say try not to get distracted like I have. But 17 years in, you know, sometimes you have these ideas and opinions you want to get out there. Those I tend to say for their kind of TEDx talks and and, and things like that. But for well, business, it's mostly why leaders fail. Uh, in my case, it's to do with communication and speak to lead and things like that
2: yeah yeah well i could see why you were uh voted a top uh 300 south africans to take to lunch you're an interesting guy you voted uh top 40 under 40 you've won a lot of awards and you have i loved uh talking about this because i deal with this uh on a daily basis and i hope they that uh, the leaders at zoom and some of these other companies listen to this show and d- d- make some of those changes to to the platforms because i'd love to see some of that and thank you for um, being on Rich, I was hoping you'd share how people could find out more and uh, contact you.
1: Yeah, thank you so much. Mm-hmm. If you'd like to get a hold of me personally, if you go to getrich.af, it's one of those little link farms and you'll find links to all my websites, my social media presence, my newsletter, and my YouTube channel. Uh, LinkedIn is probably the one where I engage the most and I enjoy spending time on of late. So feel free to reach out there and obviously let me know that you came across because of the show. And uh, for my business, if you go to Ineedmissinglink.com and there you'll find details about our various uh, things that we offer, including our public speaking program.
2: Well, that's awesome. And this has really been interesting. I hope people take time to check out your site. Thank you so much for being on the show.
1: It is a privilege. Thank you so much for having me.
2: Oh, you're welcome. And we will be back right after this message. Do you know someone who might benefit from taking the Curiosity Code Index Assessment? The CCI is the first and only assessment that determines the factors that inhibit curiosity. It's simple. If you recommend the assessment to someone else, you can receive 20% of the purchase price that they pay when they take the CCI through the link provided by you. To obtain the link and become an affiliate, please go to drdiannehamilton.com forward slash affiliate. I'd really like to thank both John and Richard for being my guests today. We get so many great guests. If you've missed any past episodes, please go to drdianhamilton.com. If you go to the blog, you can read them. You can listen to them there. Of course, we air on all the radio stations and podcasts uh, listed on the site, but it's kind of nice sometimes just to read them so you can link to the books and different things that we talk about on the show. So I hope you enjoyed today's episode and I hope you join us for the next episode of Take the Lead Radio. You've been listening to Take the Lead with Dr. Diane Hamilton on C-Suite Radio.